I'm Hillary. I'm Emily. And we're the Sirens. Today we're talking about Strangers on a Train, a 1951 noir thriller directed by Alfred Hitchcock, starring Farley Granger, Ruth Roman, Casey Rogers, Robert Walker, and Patricia Hitchcock. Two strangers meet on a train. One is a professional tennis player, the other is a psychopath. Guy, the tennis player, gets a hunch immediately that something's off with Bruno, who describes an idea he has for swapping murders. Two strangers meet and agree to murder someone for the other. The motive would be non-existent. The murderer would be in the clear. Late for his stop, during which he's supposed to finalize a divorce for his two, with his two-timing wife, Guy shrugs off Bruno's suggestion that they swap murders. But Bruno is undeterred, so murder and 90 minutes of terror ensue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think um, Bruno failed in one aspect of the crisscross murder, which is that you're supposed to be unconnected. Yeah. <laughs> he kept getting connected <laughs> yeah he just kept being like i'm calling you i'm showing up at a party i'm coming to your tennis match i was like what are you doing stop yeah because um, he's a psychopath he doesn't care <laughs> did also everything i read about this movie kept referring to him as a charming psychopath which what? i did not find to be true no i saw i something i read was that he was like that they uh, hitchcock and walker like like different mannerisms and things that were supposed to be homosexual enough to like say, oh, this guy is this guy's gay and that's part of his problem, uh-huh. but not homosexual enough that like, you know, that the censors would be like, no way, Jose. Which I'm like, you know, F you Hitchcock. Oh my gosh. Another <laughs> reason to dislike Hitchcock. <laughs> is that why they had that whole creepy manicure scene with his mother? I think so. I think that was oh what gosh. it was supposed to say. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, one of the uh uh one of the messages of this movie maybe is uh gay people are psychopaths. I don't know. Oh my gosh, we definitely don't don't need that. That message never needed. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> Was that um part of the trivia? Do you have other things? I have there's a so I found a lot of trivia for this movie. So I'm going to just pick out a few things. Okay. Um, so the the final scene of the movie or the uh, next to final scene of the movie where Barbara and Ann Morton are waiting for Guy to call on the telephone to just say like that, you know, that he had met up with Bruno at the very end and like everything was fine. The Hitchcock's idea was that the phone needed to be in the foreground to dominate the shot, emphasizing the importance of the call, but like they couldn't make it happen with the movie lenses to have both the phone and the women in focus. And Mm -hmm. so to like get around that technological obstacle, Hitchcock had an oversized phone made and placed in the foreground. And then there was like a trick of the eye, trick of the assistance, uh, because Anne reaches (laughs) for the big phone. And, but actually answers a regular one. And so there was like a zoom in shot when she's answering the phone where he zoomed in and then the the big phone went out of the frame and then a grip put in a normal size phone on the table and that's where she picked it up. It was some like wow. fancy. And there were a couple of other trick photography things that happened. Like the, um, the carousel explosion at the end was filmed in miniature and then enlarged on a rear projection screen behind the live performers that, that were in like the mob. Um, one thing That's that was pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad to know nobody like, there was actually people. injured in the, yes. the filming of that, like, which All, was yeah. terrifying. Well, the stunt where the man crawled under the carousel to like turn the carousel off that, that was not done with trick photography. We, an actual carousel worker, like volunteered to do that. The, like the carousel scene is like Hitchcock sped up the film to make it look like it was going faster than it actually was. But it's, I mean, like it's never safe to crawl under a carousel. So he said it was the most dangerous stunt ever performed under his direction. And he was like, I'm never doing this again. Wow. Yeah, that, that so much was going on in that scene. That there was, it was also like there was almost a superhero element to this old man <laughs> crawling, yeah, crawling under, under the carousel. Yeah, 
Uh, well, and like, let's not forget that they like the police shot a like a guy who was just an innocent bystander, and that's why it's set yes. up. I cannot believe that they just shot onto a moving carousel that with children people on it. On it. Yeah. yeah, what? And like, just, and they weren't even like there was no way for them to aim because yeah. the carousel was moving. Was moving. No, it's like uh, yeah, that. Uh, and then it like. People, nobody even reacted to the fact that the carousel operator was, was similarly to a lot of people who got injured in this movie or killed. It was just like, nobody really seemed to care about them. Yes. It was just kind of a like plot device. Yes. I was going to bring that up. I'm glad that you mentioned that. (laughs) So speaking of Hitchcock being kind of a jerk, Patricia Hitchcock was encouraged by her father to go for a ride on the Ferris wheel constructed on the fairground set. She was afraid of heights and was not at all, like, interested in doing this. No clue why she actually agreed to do this, even though he offered her $100. So she finally did it because she was like, well, I, you know, I'll, I'll do it for $100. When her car and the fer- Ferris wheel reached the top, Hitchcock ordered the ride stopped and all the lights turned out for five what? seconds. She never got the money and her, she called her father's act sadistic, which, like, yes, what a jerk. <laughs> Like, just reading that, I was like... Oh my gosh. Yeah. That is so messed up on so many levels. That is like, you're deliberately trying to traumatize your kid. Kid, I know. Okay, still in the vein of Hitchcock being something. Um, (laughs) Casey Rogers, who played Miriam, had perfect vision, but Hitchcock insisted that she wear thick eyeglasses like the ones her character needed to wear, um, even in long shots when regular glass lenses would have been undetected. So she was wearing thick, like prescription glasses. She was, by wearing them, she was effectively blind. And so she couldn't actually see what was happening. And she had to be guided by other actors on set. And in one scene, you can see her dragging her hand along a table as she walks because she can't see. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, I will say that as someone who sometimes wears glasses, has bad eyesight, I actually appreciated seeing someone on screen who had, they weren't just wearing glasses, but they, it was like a visible prescription, like how you actually look when you're wearing glasses. But I did not appreciate that they, I was like, great. They actually have like a woman wearing glasses and they're real glasses. And she's still seen as like, somewhat of a desirable person and then i was like wait a second no this now she's like being portrayed as evil so i didn't like that yeah um well and like to that point of like women in glasses are never portrayed like the thing that Anne says is the thing that makes her sister look like miriam is the fact that they wear glasses i was like oh oh yeah there aren't <laughs> like i guess this is one of the few movies where I've, we, we have characters in glasses and just how like bizarre that is that like because pra- I, mean, I assume in the 1950s like people wore glasses they just don't show them yeah <laughs> well yeah then when they as soon as they had the younger and i actually liked the younger sister barbara character but as soon as they had her in glasses i was like oh the, the, there's no way this is a quince they couldn't just have someone wear glasses like this is going to be a plot point so yeah Ugh. Yeah. Um, I think the other the other last piece of trivia that I want to men- mention is that the book that Guy is trying to read on the train when he first m- meets Bruno is an anthology titled Af- Alfred Hitchcock's Fireside Book of Suspense Stories. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, I didn't notice it either. <laughs> I did. I did notice his cameo in this one. Like a lot of times, oh, I miss uh-huh. it. But yeah. when he was getting on the train with the cello case, I was like, oh, there he is. Yeah. I mean, it seemed like a longer one. And it was like pretty, it seemed pretty obvious. It was like him carrying a bass. <laughs> yeah. that it, it did linger on him. And then some <laughs> of his other movies, it's just like there's a giant crowd scene and he like walks by at one point, which is much less noticeable. Yeah. Uh, well, I bioed. Robert Walker mm-hmm. who plays Bruno and part of the reason I picked him was because I read that he 
died like mm-hmm. you know right after the filming for this was completed mm-hmm. so I was curious about that and also I just thought he was super creepy and good in this yeah. role so <laughs> assuming he wasn't creepy in real life he was really good yeah <laughs> well I was surprised that this was not the type of role he did it wasn't like mm-hmm. you know some other types of villains where they're just typecast but anyway we will get into it uh, Robert Walker was born in 1918 in Salt Lake City, Utah. Mm-hmm. His parents divorced when he was young, which left a terrible mark on him. It was traumatic, and he got into acting as a way of coping. His maternal aunt was the president of the famous department store Bonwit Teller, and she paid for him to come to New York and enroll at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts in 1937. While attending there, he met fellow aspiring actor Phyllis Eiley, who later took the stage name Jennifer Jones. Oh. And they married in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1939. And that same year, Walker started to have some small parts in films like Winter Carnival and two Lana Turner films, um, These Glamour Girls and Dancing Co-Ed. Um, they basically had hit kids right away. So mm-hmm. in 1940 and 41, he did radio work instead while his wife was having their two sons, Robert Jr. Wow. and Michael, who both went on to be successful actors in their own rights. And after that, they went back to Hollywood and uh, she was discovered, quote unquote, discovered by <laughs> David Selznick. And basically transformed into a star by him. Mm -hmm. And because of her connections, he also was kind of headed on that same path. He got a contract with MGM and appeared in Bataan and Madame Curie, which were both commercial successes that same year. And then a lot of his roles um, subsequently were these sort of youthful, good-hearted soldiers. Like, he was in a lot of war movies as, like, the boy-next-door kind of guy, uh, which started when he starred in See Here, Private Hargrove in 1944. Uh, Next, he appeared in Selznick's Since You Went Away in that same year, and he and his wife played doomed lovers during World War II. Mm -hmm. But by that time, she was having an affair with Selznick, which was pretty Uh, commonly known and they separated in the middle of the production. (laughs) And then Selznick kept torturing Walker by making him do take after take of any of their love scenes. No. And the whole thing really messed him up. Um, She filed for divorce in April, 1945. The movie was very successful, but it, it, really did a number on him that experience yeah and in 1949 he spent time at the Menninger clinic where he was treated for mental illness oh no following his discharge he was cast by director Alfred Hitchcock and Strangers on a Train in 1951 and he received acclaim for this performance um, as Bruno Anthony and in his final film Walker played the title role of Leo McCary's My Son John in 1952, which was like an anti-communist picture. Mm. And he died before production finished. So they actually, so he dies in that movie too. And they had to string together his death scene from scenes from strangers. Oh my God. The way that he died... It was the night of August 28th, 1951, and his housekeeper found him in an emotional state. She called a psychiatrist who came and administered amobarbital for sedation, but he had been drinking a lot, and the combination of the drinking and the drugs um, made him lose consciousness and stop breathing, and they couldn't resuscitate him. I know. So he died at age 32. Um Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it was, it, he was very mourned. I mean, he was kind of seen as part of like the next great generation of actors. Wow. Yeah. He was he's so young when he died. I know. So oh. that was the um, sad story of Robert Walker. <laughs> yeah. That's so sad. 
It is. That's I hate like I knew it was going to be sad because he died so young, but then also, you know, the mental health and it seemed like he he did struggle with alcoholism mm-hmm. and really you know was very messed up by the divorce and it, it I didn't really mention this, but he also remarried he married a second time and that only lasted five weeks and then oh the person gosh. yeah filed for divorce and I think actually I think she got it annulled but so he didn't really seem to have a great life even though he was very talented yeah well and that's a lot to happen I mean now that I'm older than 32 years old I'm like you know that's just a, like sounds like a lot to have done and endured in 32 years yeah and and i also read when he died his his sons were like 10 11 and like so he had them really young because i was like 32 and you have like an 11 year old yeah so anyhow well what did you think of this movie because this was my pick And and had you seen it before yes i had but it it had been a while and there were certain things I didn't remember. Like I remembered the the general premise and some of the famous scenes, but there were certain things that I had lost that came. Yeah. But it was actually like a lot scarier than I remembered. Yeah, I mean, I would. I was gonna say like I found it extremely traumatic to watch. <laughs> so, and I may never watch another Hitchcock movie ever again, honestly. <laughs> and I, I don't know. I like. I, I found it very difficult to watch and I don't know I was mad at every man in this movie just like everything (laughs) (laughs) because there's like every man in this movie has so much privilege and and yet like there's so much violence against so many of the women in this movie and it just like infuriated me (laughs) yeah that's a very good point it's not for the faint of heart at all I would say no, and I I kind of misremembered like a very essential thing about the movie, which is that I thought that Guy had agreed, like even just jokingly sort of agreed, like, yeah, we'll do this murder, ha ha ha. But that never happens yeah. in the movie. So really the whole thing is just it's just like a nightmare being thrust upon him. Yeah. Well, and like, you know, he does say uh, Bruno does say in the like party scene, you know, and when, when he like crashes the senator's party, he said he's like like starts chatting up these two old women, one of whom he eventually chokes in a room full of witnesses with no repercussions for some reason. <laughs> uh, you know, he says like, "Oh, haven't you ever been in an argument? You could," and you say like, "Oh, I could just kill him, kill that person, or whatever," which. Uh, guy does like say on the phone to Anne, his like his mistress, like when his wife refuses to give him a divorce because now he's successful and whatever. And she's like, Well, I'm gonna move to Washington and have my baby and be the you know, the wife of a famous tennis star or whatever. Um, you know, she he says, like, I, I could kill her, but like it almost is like a um, in some ways a movie on like the meditate uh, like it's a meditation on the like oh what if like you said that and it actually happened but like I don't know I find that to be a really weak <laughs> premise like that yeah. doesn't happen <laughs> the actual idea of the crisscross murder still I mean we already talked about one problem with it in this movie but even if a stranger did actually do the murder you know that person the the person who has like a bad relationship with them would still be the prime suspect right that's right like so it doesn't even matter who did it and it's still like i mean murder for hire is is a thing that people know about (laughs) yeah so i didn't think it actually the only way i thought it would have been it would have worked better the murders if they had actually been communicative and like the person they said like oh i'm gonna do it here so then you should have an alibi like a really strong alibi right yeah um, instead of your alibi as a drunk professor professor from delaware tech which i have to <laughs> say is like the only thing i liked about this movie <laughs> it's like did oh. you 
catch when the um senator was like sort of insulting it was like a professor harvard yeah and then they were like delaware, delaware tech, tech. And like and i was like oh gosh this dude yeah well so that that actually brings me to like my real problem with this movie is that white supremacy and patriarchy are long-standing things in this country in 1951 still a thing whenever patricia highsmith wrote this the novel that this movie was written or based on still a thing and so the fact that like i just don't understand how the tennis tennis star who is in having a like a, an affair that everybody knows about including the senator with the senator's wife senator's daughter his wife is murdered by by a psychopath he knows that she is murdered by a psychopath why didn't he turn to the senator and say she was murdered by a psychopath i met on the train and like here's the truth and why didn't oh, the senator could turn around and use the extraordinary power of his office to cover that up because either way <laughs> there was going to be a scandal and so use the power of the office that you have and like he clearly ha- had a lot of money of his own he's white he's a man that like i just found it like very unbelievable that like you couldn't just solve it by like you know using the, the power and privilege yeah. that you have because i know that happened then still happens now and to me, that seemed like a huge, like, like uh, distortion of reality. Like, oh, this white man is afraid of the police. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, and wasn't it kind of shocking that like Anne and her family actually believed he didn't do it? Um, like, I, like that part seemed. Or even if Anne was like, "Well, I'm in love with him, and I just believe him." Like, if you were like her dad, wouldn't you kind of wonder? that like drives home even further like if their first reaction is to not at all have any like suspicion that he was even connected to it then like why wouldn't he say like you know thank you for believing that i didn't do it i but i do know that the psychopath did it because he's a psychopath and so we need to go to the police and like you know i will tell everything i know and cooperate and blah 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 because it i mean it does seem like like they would suspect him <laughs> so since they don't suspect him why don't you go to the police i just yeah, don't know I, I don't know it did seem like everything he did after he found out about the murder incriminated him yeah and even well, if he didn't do it he still knew who did it yeah and so did he nothing gone, about it yeah he did nothing about it and like the other thing is that you know sometimes there's like elevated tension when like the audience knows something that the characters don't know and and in this case we know that bruno's dad thinks that he is a psychopath and needs to be committed and like you know did a dui and like do all of these other things and needs to be taken care of but his mother is also a psychopath and so the two of them are like in cahoots to like keep bruno out of what you know treatment or whatever so we know that if you know, if this this went to trial, probably Bruno's dad, who clearly has a shit ton of money, <laughs> would be like, "Yes, my son is is insane and like and you know homicidal and pathological, and this isn't the first time he's done shit like this, and you know he needs to go to jail." So we know that, like, also he should just go talk to the police. Yeah, like, it's that- a nightmare. <laughs> it's not a nightmare already. So like, turn the night. <laughs> a nightmare over to the police to deal with that that is very true i guess i did think this movie had a lot to say about class with now i I wanted to see what you thought about this because i got the impression that guy was not from the same class as like the senator's family and bruno but that he kind of gained access to that class through his role as like a as an athlete yeah and as and, the, the as the boyfriend of the senator's daughter yeah yes um and it really was striking to me that you know he was kind of being stalked by bruno mm-hmm. and 
he because Bruno was also of that elite class, he just could gain access to anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like there was nowhere for him to go that, that Bruno couldn't go because like he showed up at his tennis matches, he showed up at all these private parties. Like yeah, he, at the Capitol. Because yeah. so he clearly was in like he could just go anywhere or do anything. And that almost I thought made him much more powerful like as a character that if because if it had kind of been reversed and he was a more of a lower class person like he couldn't have gotten into those places and kept <laughs> messing with guy and really guy was only protected to the extent that he was by his girlfriend slash fiance's family which i was surprised that they were just like stay here with us like yeah i feel like maybe i've watched too many like political shows but i feel like today it would be like oh um you have a whiff of scandal about you what do the optics look like we can't be seen to harbor you like you gotta skip town (laughs) right well and and like to that point like I don't understand why they didn't like what I don't understand why the relationship wasn't like okay you are you are clearly harboring me and taking me in anyway so you know can you take it one step further and like sweep this under the rug yeah, that's true. It it did seem, like even the final conclusion where the police still don't believe guy and then like the whole carousel scene and at the very end it's shown that Bruno does have the lighter in his hand. That seemed totally circumstantial to me and the police were like, "Oh, we see the lighter in his hand. We do believe you." <laughs> like yeah. I was like, "What? That's that's all you need to prove that this this unconnected guy did the murder and not her actual husband (laughs) like it i still thought any decent police officer like anyone who has any kind of investigative abilities would have been all over him yeah yes well and that like the the boat operator like even identifies bruno as like you know like he's the guy who he saw the night of the murder so like he even has like a corroborating witness. It's just better police officers, please. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, what did you think of the Miriam character? I mean, I, the senator actually says at some point, like just because you're a you know a you make bad choices or whatever doesn't mean that you should like be murdered. And I agree with that. I think like the little we see of her is that like oh she's they both both Guy and Miriam have been gallivanting with other people and she's not at all interested in him until he's successful and you know and they have this like petty fight and he like he's the first to like put hands on her and she like takes the money without and then is like oh I'm not divorcing you it's like that's not great like I don't think she's a good person necessarily but no I mean I I wonder, are we supposed to believe that the timeline was basically, like, the town that they were from was indicated to be, like, not a great town? <laughs> in, in my mind, I was thinking, like, oh, this must have been, like, this is where they're from, and before he kind of made any name for himself, maybe they got married, and, I mean, I thought the timeline was that she was cheating on him or like taking up with different people and then maybe they were separated and then maybe he started dating Anne or do you think it was more of a mutual like we're both just cheating on each other it seemed to me like they're both cheating on on each other but you know because he was cheating on her with the senator's uh, daughter that was somehow fine (laughs) yeah that was the thing because in the very opening they like when he's talking with Bruno on the train Bruno makes some kind of comment about it he's like, and he's like hey like don't judge a guy by like his missteps or whatever <laughs> he's like all offended about it yeah so I was kind of surprised that the senator would just be fine with his daughter dating a married guy I know I was very surprised about that too which I'm like okay you clearly have like suppressed some kind of scandal about this so like can you go the next step again well and I like I also was like watching her watching Miriam at the you know she's she's at she gets murdered at the you know the fairgrounds or whatever 
that she's gone to with two men, one of whom maybe is her, you know, the father of her child or not. Who I don't know who these two men are, but like she, you know, realizes that there's this guy who's following her around and doesn't she doesn't seem creeped out by him. No, it almost seemed like she thought he was interested in her and she was flattered. Yeah. But like, you know, I was watching it like from my perspective in 2022, I was like, oh, my God, like this is like this is just like terrifying knowing that she's like surrounded, you know, that she's being followed by this guy. And like, you know, if I was in that situation where there was a guy who was like staring at me and like kept like showing up or whatever, like I'd be terrified and yeah, that's how I would feel. Too. That scene was very creepy, where he just kept following her from place to place in the carnival and staring at her. Well, and the fact and then, that the men, the men that she's with, don't notice. Like, you don't notice that there's some creepy guy that you've never seen before, just like staring at this person that you're with. Like, what's wrong? Yeah, I mean, in theory, if you're there with two other people, you would think that would offer you some protection. But yeah, it, it did not, and it was very creepy to me when he got in the tunnel of love boat by himself, like yeah. right after. It it was like both that that part, and then the fact that the carnival kept running there after someone was murdered, murdered. there. Like, would wouldn't you think it would shut the carnival down? down? Yeah. Although, didn't they say? And somebody says like, "Oh yeah, it was bad business for a while, but now it's like the business is booming because people want to like see where she was murdered." Yeah. Oh, so morbid. Yeah. So you brought up about bruno's father Mm -hmm. and i was curious about that though because it felt to me like we were kind of viewing it more from the perspective of him and his mother Mm -hmm. and like she paints that portrait of the father which kind of makes him look like a monster and i was like are we supposed to believe that this guy really is a bad guy that i mean not to the point that he should be murdered but like that he's not a good person because both the wife and Bruno seem to be against him or are we supposed to believe that he's like a reasonable person and well they're... I don't I don't I he seemed to me like a reasonable person because he was like you know like he when the scene that we see him in he uses a reasonable tone of voice with him and and you know and uses a uh, reasonable tone of voice with his wife and you know is like saying like you know he he needs to deal with the fact that he like the DUI or whatever it was that you know he like caused damages which seems very reasonable like that doesn't seem outlandish which to me makes sense like we see the mother and Bruno more often and they're both obviously in their own little world where like Bruno can do no wrong so to me he seems very reasonable that would be so scary to have to have a kid like that and Mm -hmm. then not be able to do anything about it or get them help well but i also i'm like this is another where i'm like why th- like why are men this movie makes me ask why are men because the, <laughs> the dad clearly has a ton of money has a ton of influence believes that he is the head of his household so why why does he have to like get his way i'm not saying like you know men should bulldoze through a family but like if he thinks it's a problem why doesn't he do something about it like do something take action if you think your son is dangerous do something like you have all of the power and privilege take action <laughs> yeah and and the wife did not seem very well either so oh no she seemed like totally out to lunch <laughs> i don't know that you know she probably could have used some kind of help too so. yeah like they could just like send them out to the country where they can like be of no harm to themselves or anybody else. Like, do something. <laughs> and <laughs> literally anything more than what you are doing. It was so clear that there was something, like, he was deeply disturbed. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and even when, early. yeah. Yeah. When he first meets a guy on the train, he knew so much about him to the point that I was like, did he, like, try to deliberately find him on the train? Like, did yeah. he, like... 
try to because he was like he knew all about his divorce he had seen like pictures of everyone like knew who he was dating now like all mm-hmm. this stuff creepy and i was yeah it was like too much for just a coincidence um also how about how easy it was for him to find out where Marion lived and just stalk her i know it's like the danger of like public records i guess phone books yeah it did this um i know you you're not like a big eric larson fan but it did did it make you think of devil in the white city oh yeah totally actually i liked that book it it totally made me think of devil in the white city. <laughs> um i wonder if he was influenced by this movie in writing that book oh. i mean i know those are true events but i like I, I could see someone seeing this movie and being like what about like someone really stalking someone through a carnival or yeah. a fair yeah Oh, that would be an interesting thing to look into and see if, like, see if there was any connection at all. It's fun. The very ending. So normally, I am not someone who likes, like, roller coasters or, like, you know, rides where you, like, jump off of the ledge or whatever, Uh those kinds of rides. So normally, I really like the carousel. and That's, like, my Uh go-to. Yeah, and never again. And I totally blocked out this and like I remembered they were at the fair and like some of the like imagery around the horses. I did not remember that like the carousel like becomes um, like totally uh, out of control and like everyone's being thrown off it and people die and like oh I didn't remember all of that stuff. Yeah and that there's a mother in the crowd who's like my boy is on there my boy is on there and the boy like almost falls off and has to be yeah. rescued and who knows what happens to him yeah terrifying. <laughs> it was and I, I, it, I assume they're not running the same way. <laughs> that was all I was thinking because I'm always that's like my low entry point ride for my own kids. I'm like, we can go on the carousel. Like, even if you are too young for the other things. And now I'm like, the carousel is not safe. We cannot surely, go on the carousel. Surely there's like an emergency switch now at the like, like ticket taker booth or whatever. Like, surely there has to be like a, like, you don't have to crawl underneath the <laughs> carousel to turn it off. There's got to be like an emergency switch, right? I've yes and it wouldn't be on some kind of like it it's it seemed like it was on some kind of like a pulley system or something where like the rope could snap like I can't imagine that being how it's rigged up now yeah there's gotta be that like more safety (laughs) backstops it was all very creepy but like I also I was very struck by the camera angles in this Mm -hmm. film like the murder scene where the reflection in her glasses is how you see the murder mm-hmm. and like when they fall on the ground and then um, when they're on the carousel there's a lot of shots of like the horses hooves like coming mm-hmm. down like the horses are angry and mm-hmm. um, just a lot of very interesting angles and close-ups to increase the like terror of what's going on yeah the absolute terror of what's happening yeah um mike also told me he did not watch this one with me but that this movie was remade as a comedy in like the 90s with danny devito yes and billy crystal yeah which i did not know but now i'm kind of like i wonder what that would be like (laughs) maybe i should watch that like yeah jen Jen mentioned that movie to me too (laughs) isn't it it's called throw mama off a train or something like yeah. that yeah okay so I, just by that casting i'm assuming it's not a scary movie <laughs> yeah i don't know though sounds like a lot of uh, more white men that is true yeah you made a really good point about all the violence committed against women in this movie i think the only other person who has who is a victim is actually Bruno by being like punched by guy and stuff in different scenes but well and the woman who is strangled at a party and oh yeah well I meant the only non-woman oh, yeah. who has violence committed against them and the... yeah that scene was all like when he's like can I borrow your neck I was like if someone asks you who you don't know or even if you do know can I borrow your neck the answer is always no no, you do not answer, say yes. Yeah. The answer is no. You get up and you walk away. Have some boundaries. <laughs> but it is true. Like that happened to Miriam. And 
I think from the film's perspective, you're basically just not supposed to care about Miriam because you're like, well, like she's she's a jerk. Like she Yeah, she's a tramp. It's fine. Yeah, she so who cares? And like basically everyone in the movie, no one seems upset that she is killed. Like I know. Even mm-hmm. even though Guy like is mad at her that was still his wife and she was brutally murdered yeah and he does not react except to be concerned about like the optics and what that means for him Mm -hmm. so yeah on the other hand when he goes to play that tennis match at wherever it is like there's it's not like the announcer's like oh and suspected killer guy haynes is playing like (laughs) tennis star guy haynes so his like his anxiety is also like not well founded yeah that's true he's kind of still going about his life and that tennis scene man like they they showed like the whole game yeah and it also didn't make sense to me because he was like well i just have to win this really fast and And then then i can go get on the train and i was like dude just lose them you can lose faster than you can win just throw the match get on the train i didn't even think about that just lose the match (laughs) throw the match it's funny because I'm also reading, I'm almost done a book that is about a professional tennis player. So I feel like I'm surrounded by tennis, tennis. in my life. I know way more about tennis than I ever cared to know. I was going to ask you how you felt about watching all that tennis. It was like, you know, it's like a Gene Kelly dance scene. It's like, this is totally, why Why is there so much tennis right now? Who cares? Is that how you feel when yes. you're watching a Gene Kelly dance scene? Yes. I'm like this, 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 this is totally. We need like a tenth of this. I mean, to be the talent and the grandeur, and then well, to be fair, I feel that way about this tennis scene far more strongly than I feel about the Gene Kelly. Then my problem with the Gene Kelly stuff is that I'm like, this doesn't advance the plot at all. If it was like a standalone Gene Kelly dancing, like sure, fine. (laughs) Yeah, it's more spectacle than at actually advancing the plot or sometimes it will explain subtext or something but yeah subtext um, that was the word i was looking for 20 minutes ago (laughs) but the tennis and i was totally not needed (laughs) he's a genius and like i will watch him dance anytime he's one of the best dancers probably in american history but the but but this tennis match these were just two actors playing tennis like well the guy who plays his opponent it was actually a like a professional tennis player who was famous but um like he and he apparently coached uh probably granger on how to like actually pay play tennis but is that why they kept zooming in on his opponent because i was like yes who is this dude some famous dude uh, but to your point, yeah, absolutely not necessary at all to watch these two dudes play tennis for 10 minutes. Not necessary. Could have could have lost it. It's fine. And wasn't there a point in the movie where Bruno says to Guy, like, oh, do you think you'll go pro? And he's like, no, I'm not going to go pro. And I was like, if you're not pro, what are, like, is is he just like a really good amateur who competes in tournaments like what yeah. is the deal yeah what is the deal and if yeah and if you don't if you're not going to go pro like you said throw the match <laughs> <laughs> so yeah overall and i've seen a good number of hitchcock movies i think this is definitely the scariest one mm-hmm. yeah yeah i agree because some of them are just, well, there's ones that have kind of dread mm-hmm. in them, or there's like a mystery you're trying to solve. And that's, that's a different vibe. But this one was a feeling of like, you know, there's this psychopath and he's killing someone and I can't get him out of my life and there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah. And also everyone's going to think that I'm a murderer. Like it seemed like you know, as much as Guy wasn't really a great person, the film mm-hmm. kind of puts you in his perspective. Mm-hmm. And then you feel all of that. And it does have that feeling of like, oh, this could happen to me. <laughs> this is yeah. something that could happen. Yeah, which is not, doesn't feel good. It's not like the birds where like all of a sudden, like a bunch of sparrows like fly down your chimney to attack you, like, which seems a lot less plausible. Yeah, it's not, not going to happen. No way. Yeah. I don't know. I think I was like eight or nine. I don't know why, but um, I w- I had a friend sleep over on Halloween, and I made her watch the birds and like totally traumatized. 
Christ. Oh my God. <laughs> I know. Why was I watching Hitchcock movies when I was that age? I don't know. But <laughs> We all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. Well, so should we talk? We kind of talked about social justice a little bit. Is there more to say? You mean because of the class issue and because of the violence against women? Yes. And also the police sucking. <laughs> yeah. Oh, also the police suck. Let's just underline it. All of those things. <laughs> There's a lot of violence against women. Police suck. And the white men aren't using their privilege and power for some reason yeah and yeah in general it seemed like people either didn't care that this woman was murdered or were almost like enthralled by it mm-hmm. <laughs> so, not the so i think that idea of violence against women being portrayed as kind of like almost a gossip thing or even if you think about how into true crime people are now like mm-hmm. i are you a true crime person? No. Yeah, I'm not either. I'm just like, no. I would like. To it's not entertainment. Yeah, no. It's not entertaining that somebody died or had you know <laughs> a terrible thing happen to them. Yeah, and that's kind of how it seemed, and it looks sort of sensationalized. But yeah, definitely not not a strong social justice message in this film. I've been living my own life, making my own decisions for a long while now. It's impossible to go back to being treated like a child again. What about the Bechdel test? Do you think it passes? Um, I mean, I guess, like, maybe technically Barbara and Anne talk to each other about something other than men. I mean, I guess, like, the two old women at the party are technically talking about murder. Yeah. But they're, like, there's a man that's, like, guiding that conversation. So perhaps on a technicality, but I think... Like, because of the movie and the plot, like, the conversations that we see mostly between Barbara and Anne are about Guy. Yeah. Wouldn't this movie have been interesting if it was from the perspective of Anne? Mm-hmm. And yeah. she was trying to figure out if her fiancé was a murderer? Yeah. Well, in those shots where she, like, sees the Bruno tie clip and then is, like, suspecting like those i thought were like very interesting moments yeah and she did have agency like she made moves to try to clear him independently of Mm -hmm. him yeah oh she yeah because she went to bruno's mother to try and get her to do something but she is not all there which was a terrible idea just go by yourself and don't tell anyone (laughs) yeah go by yourself and don't tell anyone perfect great yeah, I mean, I I think it probably does pass, at least. I mean, there's, there's I think because of the sisters, mm-hmm. I actually really liked the Barbara character a lot, the, mm-hmm. the younger sister. She had a lot of spunk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I think they're not really, when they talk about the murder, like in some ways, it is about a relationship, but not really directly. And... And you're right about the two older ladies, too. So I think it passes. I'm surprised that a Hitchcock movie would pass. Yeah. <laughs> because usually there's just, like, one woman in it, if there's any woman in it. Yeah. I mean, I think it passes, like, on technicalities. Not, like, because Hitchcock was like, oh, I'd like to have fully developed uh, female <laughs> No. Oh, this is apropos of nothing, but I thought it was worth mentioning that the i i made a bunch of notes about how the bruno character had really excellent style yeah because he's like, supposed to be gay i guess that yeah i didn't i didn't pick up on that <laughs> when i was watching <laughs> but like he had that really cool robe at the yeah. house mm-hmm. the first scene the opening scene where you're kind of seeing their shoes he has these beautiful wingtip shoes and yeah, like i just i was kind yeah. of struck by that he actually like the um even though Guy was better looking, Bruno was much better dressed, like, throughout the movie. So, yeah, I don't know I what think, that says. Well, I think that speaks to the class thing that you were talking about earlier. Yeah, for sure. Well, so what rating would you give this? Honestly, like, a 2.5, maybe. I mean, I think, like, the shots were interesting, and, like, the cinematography was 
intriguing and interesting but like you know the violence against women and the like inexplicable like not just going to the police at the beginning like really turned me off so yeah 2.5 what about you well so I'm gonna give (laughs) I think I would give it more like a 3.5 because I think it is a good movie but it's not like a fun movie it's Mm. like disturbing like I definitely felt you know if when I watch something like this kind of sticks with me and I feel like shifts my mindset at least for a couple days afterwards where I just feel sort of creeped out Mm. Mm -hmm. but yeah I did I thought the acting was good in it I thought the cinematography was really good I was surprised I don't know if we really talked about this directly but it was it was shocking to me that they actually showed the murder. Yes. I and was shocked I, by that too. Do you, I don't remember that really happening in other films. Like usually it's like sort of implied or it's just mm-hmm. off camera or the way they angle it, you can't really see what's going on. But mm-hmm. even though it was in the reflection of the glasses, you see him fully mm-hmm. strangle her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know about other movies. I mean, like, I feel like other movies where I've seen that, it's like a gunshot. Yeah. So I thought that made it a lot more disturbing (laughs) that they they showed a lot. So anyway, after I watched it, I was like, oh, this was a lot darker than I remembered it being. Like, I knew that it was going to (laughs) be, like, I didn't remember it being as violent as it was. Mm. And I kind of, I, I misremembered in a very significant way which was that I didn't remember that he actually went through with the murder. Mm. (laughs) I kind of remembered it as like, oh, these two guys were joking on the train and then he was going to go through with it. And somehow, and this was probably like my subconscious being like, I'll fix this plot. Yeah. (laughs) And I was just like, oh, and then the other guy stopped him from doing it or like the police stopped him from doing it. But no, that's not what happened in this movie. So I did already, like, I told my brother, like, you should watch this. I think you would like it because hmm. um, he likes Hitchcock. And... Yeah. Well, then he might like this movie. Yeah. But he is a white man. So let's yeah, <laughs> he's a white man. Probably would appreciate it. <laughs> but yeah, this is not one that I think I'm going to want to rewatch. Yeah. I think I've had my fill of like scary carousel horses and (laughs) women with glasses being strangled. Yeah. Nobody has a threshold for that and we have crossed it. (laughs) So what is our next movie, Hill? Our next movie is The Sound of Music. In a very abrupt turn, (laughs) join us and the Von Trapp family. (laughs) Because the hills are alive with the sound of music. Yes. <laughs> no one will be strangled, and that's the only <laughs> promise we're making. May it please the court, I submit that my entire line of defense is based on the proposition that persons of the female sex should be dealt with before the law as the equals of persons of the male sex. Follow The Screen Sirens on Twitter at The Screen Sirens. Leave us a review on iTunes or SoundCloud to help other people find us. And become a patron at patreon.com slash The Screen Sirens. Thanks for listening. After all, tomorrow is another day.